Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey Greasters, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for all your amazing and brilliant comments about our first episode of Series 6 last week with Candice. Uh, it was so, so appreciated and it was really lovely to have you all back, so thank you. Um, we are on Twitter and Instagram at the Griefcast if you want to join the conversation, join the chat. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But basically, yeah, there's people chatting about death on these places if you want to join them you're more than welcome yeah i really appreciated it as ever if you have been enjoying the show at all please please do rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your pods from it really does make a huge difference and i would be very very appreciated if you've um if you've done one already you can have a tick tick thank you so much um maybe i need to make the incentives better than just a tick anyway thank you and yeah thank you for everyone for saying much such nice things about being back on the show i really yeah i really appreciate it because it's a weird old time writing a book about death during a pandemic and it's it's nice to know that people do actually still want to have these conversations so thank you this week's guest is journalist and writer Gavandra Hodge. Uh, Gavandra has written for a huge array of newspapers and magazines over the years. She's written for Independent, ES Magazine, Tatler, and she has just written an incredible book called The Consequences of Love, which is out now. And you're here in the interview. I, I recommend it highly. It's a really moving and incredible book and well worth a read. Gavandra came in to talk to me about her sister Candy, who died when she was nine on holiday. And we also talked about her dad, who died many years later as well. It's such a good book, Gavanja, which is such a weird thing to say when it's about someone's tragic and heartbreaking story. <laughs> but it's 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 such a good book that I read it in the bath and I read it so long the bath went cold. Oh, you know, thank that's, you. Yeah. That for me is a sign of a good book. And then at the end, I looked at my hand and I was like, 
what is this on my hand? And I had a giant blue mark where I'd been holding the book and my oh, hand really? had obviously got wet. <laughs> wow, you've been like, imprinted by the book. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. But um, I guess to give it some context if people haven't read the book, who were we specifically remembering today when we're talking about grief? Um, specifically, we are remembering my sister, Candy, who died when she was nine years old uh, and I was 14 and we were on holiday in Tunisia. Um, she died of a rare airborne virus, which has no symptoms until it really does have symptoms. So she went to bed um on the holiday, you know, she'd been swimming that day, eating pancakes, doing all the things that you do on holiday. We were together as a family, which I think um, the sort of the fun and the the kind of time out of lifeness of holiday made what then happened even more traumatic, awful and horrible. So she woke up in the middle of the night. She was sharing a bedroom with my parents in the hotel and I was in the next door room and she was coughing and spluttering and unable to catch her breath. Um, my mum came and fetched me from my room and said, Candy needs you. So I came through and Candy was sort of spluttering up blood and running around and basically died in that hotel room whilst I watched and my dad held her. And it was such an intense and overwhelming and unreal moment that it feels like a kind of a BC before Candy and after Candy, mm. sort of part of my life. But having said that, you know, I was 14 years old. You, when you're a teenager, you're just establishing who you are as a sort of an individual. So I go back to school and no one wants to, I, I, no one wants to talk to me about Candy. No one wants to engage with what's happened. Mm. Um, we all try to forget because that seems to be what the people around us want. So I then... And my family fell apart in myriad kind of extraordinary, dramatic and mad ways. Um, uh, So I kind of ended up forgetting about her on purpose because I think it was just too much. And, And this continued throughout my life. So I'm now 45 and I got to the age, I think, of about 38, 39. So that's sort of the beginning of the book when I realized and I have two young daughters Um, whose age gap is the same as the age gap between Candy and I. And it was the moment when I'm watching them playing together and seeing how kind of intertwined they are, how dependent they are, how their characters merge um, and differentiate. And I realised, shit, I had a sister and I cannot remember her. I cannot remember a thing about her. Mm. All I can remember is watching her die. That's the only memory I have. Um, So... I tried, and as a writer, and as someone with quite a, I think I've got a pretty good memory um, for kind of moments and my history, I thought, well, I'm going to try and write my way back to her. So that's what the book was. It was a process of trying to find Candy again through thinking about her, writing about her, talking to people about her, and doing these sort of various... I'd never been in therapy, you know, doing various kind of therapeutic exercises, not just straightforward talking therapy, but other things as well, to try and sort of find where she'd gone, find Mm. what my kind of self-defence trauma thing had done, where it had buried her. Sorry, what year was it when she died? So she died in 1989. 1989, yeah, yeah. Because I was just thinking, because we've talked about a lot on the show to mm. what what I refer to as like the Teenage Grief Club. Yes, yes, yes. TGC. Yeah. And it's a really strange 
like sort of nowhere land in a way I think as and especially when I've when I've read about grief as well because I find there's you know stuff talking about how children can't process it mm. and then there's stuff talking about adults and then there's this weird gap and I think what you said is so true of like you are forming yourself as a person mm. and then something happens which like permanently indents into you yes and there's like nothing you can do about that and you're and it's at the point where you're trying to sort of be like no I, I'm a this person and I'm a that person you're like no you're a someone in your family died person yes and it's such a yeah it's so tricky and I was just wondering because obviously my dad died in 1998 which you know there was not really it's just I find it so interesting that we live in this world where time you sort of the past is like oh I guess they weren't that different and then when you look closer you're like oh my god so in 1998 people did talk to me about it but Mm. very briefly Yes. And like, so it was like everyone had learned you should mention it. Yeah. But then that was it. But I guess for you, that 1989 is like no one, like, to, so you went back to school and no one even said No one anything. said a word. And so it was, it was a very odd situation. And I know now, because I know that you've spoken to Julia Samuel. I've spoken to Julia. Mm. And she works Saint, with... St. Julia, we call on the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Julia works with schools and talks to them about how mm. you speak to a bereaved child. Mm. But, you know, none of that work had been done. And I was at a very good school, a very kind of posh fee-paying London Day School. So Candy died in the Easter holidays in April. Um, I went back into school a day late after the Easter holidays and my mum had had a chat with the headmistress and it was decided that what they would do is I would stay back a day so that they could make an announcement in assembly and tell everybody that Candy had died on holiday and, you know, be extra nice to Gavandra. So, and I knew this was happening. So I was sort of sitting at home, eating toast, watching Home and Away, thinking, shit, now they're saying it. Oh, that's weird. Anyway, um, turned up the next day, just not knowing what anyone was going to say, what I was meant to be, how I was meant to behave. Because when you're 14, it's all about who am I meant to be? What do people yeah. want? What do people want me to be today? How do I fit in best? And no one said a word, like not a teacher, not a pupil. And, you you know, teenagers are also very adaptive. They learn pretty fast. I was like, so my, what I've learned today is that I mustn't talk about candy mm. because they don't want me to talk about candy. So what they want, what society wants from me is to pretend that she hasn't died because that makes it easier for all of them because they mm. don't have the words, I don't have the words, so let's not even start speaking. Um, and that was kind of what I learn implicitly without it having to be said because nothing was said on that first day back at school yeah do you because I remember very very vividly having this thought which was like oh I see okay so people can just die Mm. so nothing is safe so never trust anyone again like and and being 15 and thinking this is a very grown-up thought Mm. like this is very logical and like sort of looking at your life and going right okay what's happened this has happened so oh okay this is what adults don't tell you nothing Mm. is ever safe right okay and obviously that was the birth of my lifelong anxiety (laughs) Um, but then do you remember vividly sort of thinking I see right candy didn't exist like that's what I have to do it's not so much I mean I suppose I knew that she existed and also in our house like my mum grieved very visibly um, and intensely for a long time so I always you know it's not like she didn't exist in the house and we kept lots of her stuff her ashes were on the mantelpiece Mm. but I definitely had that thing of like okay the world is really not a safe place I could die tonight yeah. Um, you know, this is what no one has told me. Like, nothing, I agree, nothing is safe. Um, I used to have terrible panic attacks where I would 
you know when you 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 sort of you over breathe and your hands go numb and your brain Mm. goes fuzzy um I would think I was dying on you know between the ages of sort of 15 and 16 my parents were taking me to A&E like once a week because I was convinced I was dying and I couldn't breathe because I was like but you know you can't no one can rationally tell me that I'm being irrational because I've seen Mm. it happen you know I've seen someone die in the middle of the night for no reason I watched it. She was fine. It shouldn't have happened. So you can't tell me that I'm fine. Only only a doctor can tell me I'm fine. I loved doctors. I loved hospitals. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, phew, I love these really bright lights. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the people milling around. I don't even care if I have to wait four hours. I, I, as long as I'm here, you know, that's yeah. cool. You know, And I hated holidays as well because she died in Tunisia. And there was a hospital close by, but for whatever reason you that was only adults so we had and it was like a private hospital that only adults took so she had to go to kind of the general Tunisian hospital which was you know a towel on the floor and and you know she would have died the coroner said she would have died had she been next to King's you know had she Mm. been next to an amazing teaching hospital but I think nonetheless that was pretty intense for my parents as well so I didn't like being in anywhere where you know access to amazing medical facilities wasn't sort of you know next door kind of thing yeah of course and it makes total sense and I remember like when I was you know I I eventually went to therapy again so much much later like as as sort of early 30s I was like Mm. oh god I think I might need to talk about this (laughs) oh shit Mm. (laughs) and um I remember her saying you know like Carrie, I don't know, everyone dies. And I was like, but I have this really specific evidence when someone yeah. did. Yeah. So yeah, you can yeah. say anything you like. I have this, yeah. I have this like magical knowledge. Yeah. And it feels special, doesn't it? It feels like one that I know, I know so I can protect myself. Yeah. Other people don't know this kind of stuff. Yes. And it's, yeah, it's very hard. You know, I remember her saying to me, yes, but you know, that was one day. How many other people have died on these other days? And you're mm. like, yeah, but it was, it was quite it's really hard to unlearn that stuff especially as you mm. say when you learn it as a teenager when you are so impressionable you're like wax and it's like everything yeah. is just so so meaningful uh, this is why my book was incredibly hard to write and I spent a long time writing it and got myself kind of tied up in knots is because um my family was quite unstable already so my father had been a heroin addict when I was growing up and my mother had been an alcoholic and they had only really got straight when I was about nine years old. So I'd spent my childhood, uh, my mum would pass out and I would go and sit up with my dad in the sitting room where we lived in Battersea with all these sort of Aristo junkies taking heroin in the sitting room. And I would sit up with them when I was seven years old, eight years old, because I was scared. I'd seen a fire safety film and I was really scared that um, they'd set the hat, the flat on fire because they were always like passing out with cigarettes in their hands and there were sort of mm. candles burning next to kind of crazy fabrics and stuff. So I kind of learned about danger very early on. So I was already sort of hyper alert to danger. And, but my dad got clean, my mum got clean. We had a normal family life for about four years and it was at that point that Candy died and her death just tipped everything up. Mm. Um, like imagine like a, a, a sort of one of those tables in a restaurant where someone just pulls the, the sort of the tablecloth away and just says, like, so, We say that all the time on the show. Oh, like really? that is, okay. so, yeah, it's such a common, I think because it's... Analogy. Yeah, yeah because I remember, and actually... The only other person I've said it, and another person who said it was people who lost them as teenagers. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting, isn't it? I've just yeah. realised that, it, and and that's how I felt because it was like everything was the same, but yeah. not. So you would look and go, "I'm in the same house. I have yeah. the same friends. I'm in my bedroom. 
it's not something's the part's not the same, right. but everything's jumbled yeah. and thrown up in yeah. the air and it happens so suddenly like mm. literally you learn that life can change Ugh. on the flip of a coin which is terrible knowledge but also not unhelpful knowledge mm. because no, it's, 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 it's actually true i mean everything yeah. can change you know and to be prepared and not freaked out by change is quite a useful skill mm. in later life as we have learned uh, <laughs> yes yeah 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 <laughs> um but so what happened was um after candy died dad started using again he started taking drugs and he descended really really fast back into cocaine use and and selling drugs again he was a hairdresser but he started selling drugs again whereas my mum who'd become sober remained sober and became a born-again Christian so they kind of went in these sort of two you know incredibly different approaches to grief and obviously as a 14 year old you're thinking okay I could do the born-again Christian route or I could do the drugs alcohol rock and roll sex route I think I'm doing that one because not only does it look more fun, but it's easier as well. Yeah. It's the one where you don't cry and talk about the dead person the whole time. It's one where you get pissed and yeah. get high and go to nightclubs. It's that one. So I did that for quite a long time. And I think that, <laughs> I think that also aided the forgetting as well. Or kind of, that's what I said to my, my therapist. I was like, I, I, I killed her memory. I, I, you know, all those brain cells that I sort of destroyed with mm. Zambuca um <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah so the the implications were huge not just for me but for my family and so everything imploded the minute Candy I died. mean it, it, of course of course it's like mm. it, it's such a tragic death and she was so young and as you said on holiday and completely you know like I think you wrote about it really amazingly in the book of like this you know a, vi- a virus from nowhere and it is just like it's how does your yeah it's inconceivable and it's proper sort of fairy tale stuff which mm. i think when something happens like that you think so like this something evil and bad mm. i think then your like you said your world then becomes quite binary doesn't it of like oh everything's mm. either safe or not safe yeah so but i find it interesting because i <laughs> i didn't go down again the born again christian route but i went very like um I became sort of 45 overnight. Right, okay. <laughs> so I just became very like, okay, I'm going to stay in, watch mm-hmm. telly with my mum because quite Safe. clearly the world... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like pulled the hatch down. My mm. brother went the other way, mm. much more partying like you. And I find it really interesting because for me, when I started hanging around... I guess it was so different for you because they'd already been in your life. But when I started hanging around people taking drugs, it really scared me because mm. I was like, you're going to die. You're going to die. That's mm. all I could think. And I wondered like, how was that taking stuff that was inverted commas dangerous? Um, it was made safe because my dad was giving me the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't mean to laugh, sorry. Just... <laughs> no, that's fine. And he it's was just like, like, yeah, that, that's, a good, that's a good answer. Yeah, my dad gave it to me. Yeah, so that I've makes had, sense. It's a, I mean, number one, it sort of, it felt good to be high because yeah. it meant that I, I didn't think about any of the sad shit. Number two, it made me popular at school because my dad had this hairdressing salon in Knightsbridge Mm. and friends would come down with me after school and we'd, you know, he'd give us speed, coke, everything, you know, buy us booze, let us smoke. You know, we didn't have to go and smoke behind the bike sheds because we could smoke in my dad's hairdressing salon Mm. in Knightsbridge. And also your dad was giving them to me and he, he kind of, it was, it was normal. It was like family business as well. Mm. It was like, you know, this drugs had always been part of my life. And I think... 
my familiarity with intensity like my mm. life had always been quite intense with the addicts and then it was safe and then candy dying it's like okay so this is normal like yeah. feeling on the edge is is normal for me like I never get to feel safe I never get to feel normal so actually being high um being like in the West End at 15 years old by myself, putting myself in really quite dangerous situations feels familiar. So I'll just yeah. keep, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep pushing it because this and is the place. And that's what you're seeking, isn't it? Yeah, like this is the place where I, I feel alive. This is the place, you know, like taking myself to the edge. But then at the same time on a Wednesday night going to A&E telling the doctors I think I'm dying. Yeah. So it was a very kind of overwhelming version of being a 15 year old um I grew up on the suburbs of London as well oh, right, okay, yeah and um I mean I did I obviously I did I was very good but I did go out because I was a teenager mm. and one in your book you wrote which I, I was staggered you were like talk, talking about a club in Leicester Square that let you in and I was like I went to that club <laughs> I was like how oh my god like 10 years they were still letting the because yeah that's where we used to go a club off Leicester Square and they would let you in and at the time I remember feeling like Oh, it's because we look so old. And you wrote this sentence of like, clubs can't get enough of teenage girls. Like the more teenage girl bodies, the better. And I was mm. like, even reading it last night, I was like, oh my God, you, st- mm. you have this like ego boost, don't you? Of like, yeah, oh, it's I like, look, yeah, I look like I I'm look, 19. It's like, yeah. no, you don't come in. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like brilliant. You look yeah. young, come in, which is so fucked up and weird. But at the yeah. time, it's like this transaction going on that, that you don't really understand you're taking yeah. part in. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, I mean, you wrote so amazingly about, this teenage life and this kind of you know you said this very like sex drugs rock and roll mm. craziness but you can feel the pain in it the the grief that it is like at the center of this bomb blast of everything yeah and especially like I think for like you said a, a child and someone who's so young and so like it's just the I felt like when you were talking about deciding the drug taking the drugs as someone who's like so overcautious I was like yeah I can understand this choice because the, to look at what's actually happened must have been so painful. I'm not surprised it took you so long. But also, I think I also felt like I had to live two lives. Like I had to mm. be Candy and me. So she'd got, and she'd always been the cheeky, naughty, fun one. And I was definitely the more kind of swatty one, the older sister. And suddenly I had to be the bad girl as well as the good girl. I had to be, mm. I had to be everything. And I had to, I felt like I kind of had to live double to kind of make up for the fact that she'd gone almost. Yeah. Like I had to live someone else's life as well as my own it was really untenable and intense and upsetting and you're right that it was it was fueled by pain Mm. um the whole thing really and it's only you know when you're in it you think I'm so cool I'm having so much fun I'm the coolest meanest baddest bitch in school but actually it was awful and it was Mm. so much pain it was horrible I know I always think that when you see teenagers you know but it's such, a, it's such a it's such a cliche, isn't it? You yeah, know, kind of, it is. But it's but it's a cliche for a reason that yeah. it, it's the truth. And also, but when you, I don't know if you have this. If I do see a teenager like acting out in public or something, I really like I get her still. Oh, I'm gotcha. like I'm yeah, like yeah, I yeah. know I know how angry you are, and I I always feel like on her side. Oh, yeah. I always feel weirdly like yeah you tell your mum she yeah. is being a bitch right yeah. now <laughs> like, she doesn't understand you at all yeah, uh, yeah. I mean funny enough a lot of my friends who've read it have given it to their teenagers wow. and the teenage girls really like it which is I didn't I thought I suppose I wrote it for Candy and also for my teenage self for that mm. girl uh, but I didn't sort of expect it 
I, I didn't write it as a book for children, but I can see why they like it. And one of my friend's daughters, very beautiful, very cool, she's like, well, I'm, I'll play Gavandra in the film. I'll play her. And I was like, yeah, cool, cool, Margaret. You, you, <laughs> fill your boots, you do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness, it would make an incredible film. Yeah, yeah, that would be... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Play. I'm just thinking. Yeah, play it in the film. Don't do it in real life. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, when you were writing, like you said, you tried to write your way back to Candy. Mm. I was a stupid question, but like, d- did it work? I know you talk about this in the book, but did you feel like? I suppose it, it was the process, really, yes, wasn't it? Yes, it, it's the classic thing where it wasn't the destination; it was the journey mm. that was ultimately really important, and you don't realise that until the mm. end. Uh, I sound like a sort of self-help guru there. Um, but uh, I thought that she had to be inside me. And she was, but just not in the way that I imagined. I imagined if I wrote and talked and looked at photographs and did all these things, at the end, suddenly I would like find a pop-up book of memories inside mm. me that I had misplaced. And I would... I would be able to remember, oh, that moment where we did this or that, but that didn't happen. But what happened was that I remembered who she was Mm. and I got a really strong memory of who she was and a strong engagement with her as an individual. So I'd sort of forgotten what she was like and by the end I really knew what she was like. So it's like I had sort of breathed life back into her memory. I could really imagine her and I could explain her to my daughters Mm. and I could talk about her and I could, you know, and what's been really sort of fantastic and and beautiful about the process um, is that even after writing the book the kind of the impact still whipples on so I've had her friends from school have got in touch with me um, and said oh I read your book and it was so amazing it really brought Candy to life but here are some of my memories as well you know Candy was she was amazing at doing cartwheels she was really you know all these things I was like I never knew she could do the splits you know (laughs) so that's been really fantastic so that sort of adds to her memory and I just love the fact that a, a child who died and who no one spoke about for such a long time is on the cover of the book, is mm. being talked about, is, being, is, is a kind of, you know, a trigger for people to investigate their own sadnesses that they've packed away, um, I think is a really beautiful and powerful thing. So no, it didn't actually, it didn't, the result wasn't what I had expected, but it was something so much stronger and more beautiful and more kind of varied than I had expected. I never thought it would be like this. Yeah, and I, there's a bit in the book which I really love where you said, um, again, it was somebody giving you, I think it was a friend of yours giving you a memory of Candy. Mm. And you said, like, what a gift that she had held it for you for all these years and yeah. a gift to Candy that, it, that she had been remembered. And I have this with this show because, you know, he died a long time ago and very occasionally some somebody will be like, I, you know, I had an email not that long ago from a friend of his that was just yeah. like, oh by the way this happened after he died this sort of weird experience and I was like oh, like they don't realize like you eat that you're like oh yeah. my god thank you so much like it's like because- you add it to your special kind of treasure mm. shelf of yeah. kind of memories and stuff because it's like um and I remember Julia talking about this about 
when someone dies you start compiling the memories and those mm. are the memories that you have forever and those are them in your head and so when you go into your head and you want to have a chat with them mm. or you want to remember them or visualize them those are the things that sort of enable you to do that in a really powerful way and I didn't I never could with Candy I could never yeah. sort of think well how would she be today what would she be doing in this moment how would she but now I really really can so now I have that sort of internal kind of imaginative treasure box of memories and it it, it continues to accumulate like grief isn't it never stops no it's a continuing Um, conversation but it just it, it continues and it grows and it develops and you know when someone dies they are not they're gone you still have them in your head you have them in your mm. thoughts in your life and the photographs on the wall and the conversations that you have you know um and I think that was what I realized when I realized I couldn't remember her that I sort of I, it felt like a dereliction of family duty and I think in England like I think other cultures do this so much better than us like they have like ancestor shrines and they yeah. have days when they think about their ancestors and so these these ghosts are a part of their lives and they're not scary or weird or to be shunned they're just like oh cool there's the you know this is the day that we think about them and oh you know and I think Mm. we need more of that in our kind of Anglo-Saxon culture to help us yeah I think it's yeah you're you're very very right and I you said it in the book as well which is something I, I really relate to and we talk about on the show all the time of the fear of you think well if I start talking I'll start crying and I won't stop yeah so I just can't because I have Mm. to live a life and I have to go out and go and buy bread (laughs) I can't go in there being like somebody died 30 years on and so I thought it was so interesting that I think especially I wonder if it's like a quite teenage thing that you're like just just try and control it somehow because it because it is so overwhelming Mm. rather than understanding like what you said when you when you just talk about them and it's free, like you do cry, you stop crying and then other mm. memories come. And and I've had this as well of like, obviously when something happens to you as a teenager and you're in your thirties or, you know, you get older, you do, you, it's hard to remember. Like, and you yeah. say this in the book as well, like, you're like, is that, is that my memory? Is mm. it, you know, is it my brother's? Is it a photo? Like all these things get very blurred and it can be very upsetting. Mm you like you said you want to sort out your shelf yeah (laughs) and be like I want to know what's on my shelf what's on my shelf and I I definitely I mean obviously I remembered him I didn't have that sort of what happened to you but as I got older think just just went just really went and I found it it, it's really hard like you said to kind of accept okay you won't have like a really clear memory but you'll have Hmm. a sense of the person and and allowing that to be enough yeah and I think allowing yourself I think it's a constant thinking of this is okay it's okay what I've done and also the other thing I think it's important is it's okay to wait until you're able to grieve because you're saying you know sometimes it is just not the right time sometimes it is just impossible Mm. sometimes you haven't got the mental space and it's okay to wait until you can it's okay Mm. to put it on hold and it's still it still works it's not like if you if you you've you've missed the grief window (laughs) no I agree and I think (laughs) what I've read about grief as a teenager which you know seems to be very common is that Mm. you're just in shock then you spend your 20s ignoring it because you're just like la 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 don't know what's happened and you you hit sort of 30s and you think oh hang on I can see all these weird things have happened oh it's because of that but you spend your whole life being something to do with that something to do with that that person dying it's just who I am and um that apparently is very common and I I felt I think you said this in the book as well like I felt really like I'd done it wrong like I missed my window I Mm. hadn't done it 
and rather than like you said this sort of kindness to yourself of being like it just waits for you it just waits yeah. till you're ready the problem is if you think you can outrun it like you can't yes, exactly <laughs> you're kind of like yeah no it's always going to be behind me but then yeah. I mean I, you, I think you're completely right and I remember getting to my early 30s and you know I'd finally sort of everything had gone right I met a lovely man got married kind of got a mortgage got a job all these things that from my strange childhood I never thought were really mine available to me mm. um and then, so I was like, oh, finally. I remember thinking this. I think, finally, I feel kind of cool. I feel kind of settled. I feel kind of okay. And then my dad died. Like, suddenly, <sighs> in, in, in a similar way to Candy, insofar mm. as it was overnight. Like, one minute mm. he was fine, and then he was gone. Although, kind of retrospectively, if I think about it, he, you know, he was, he was not a man who looked after himself physically. Mm. Um, he was an asthmatic who continued smoking cocaine cigarettes until, you know, his final days. So, you know, he was not, you know, <laughs> and eating four creme caramels and sort of drinking two bottles of wine for tea. Um, so it wasn't, it shouldn't have been a surprise, but fuck me, it was a surprise. Mm. Uh, so kind of, again, and, and I think um, because it was in some ways similar, because it was, you know, overnight, goes to bed fine, doesn't wake up. It, I felt I just responded in the same way all over again. I just mm. felt kind of mad all over again. Well, I think some deaths can be very, very triggering. Yeah. And I, you know, that, I know that word is like overused, but I think some things can just take you back to being yeah. 15 again yeah and it's it's horrible because you spend so much time thinking like oh I can't rem- oh I can't remember I wonder what it was like mm. and then something happens and you're literally like and you're back yeah. and you're 15 and you're going I don't want to fucking be back here actually yeah. I felt like and- I was falling I felt like I was kind oh. of collapsing through time it was so intense and for all you know my father was a very kind of complicated but very charismatic and I loved him to pieces person and it just it sort of destroyed me all over again but having said that, he was 65 when he died, which sounds young, but actually if my dad wasn't young, you know, he'd lived mm. at full speed. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I'd had a lot of time with him. Yeah. You know, I lived with him. I, you know, we hung out a lot. Um, and he died the way he wanted to die, which was he didn't want to be in hospital. And I was able to remember him. Like, I did all the things you're kind of meant to do, you know, talking to people. I wasn't scared mm. of talking to people about dad dying at all. You know, yeah. I, I talked, I cried, I made the memory books, I, I organised his funeral, I did all the things. I, I went to see his dead body, I did all the things that help the grief process, even though you don't realise you're doing something positive as you're doing it because you're walking, you're like a zombie through these mm. actions. But at the end of it, so now... You know, I, I, I can imagine him in his full glory. I can know exactly what he would say. Like, I can picture... When, if I need my dad, he can pop up in my brain. Mm. Like, I completely have him available to me. And I think maybe I had learnt something about grief without even really realising it. Mm. 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Lloyd. You talk a lot, which again, I think comes from being a young griever of like that survival mode. I definitely have that as well of like, shit hits the fan. I'm like, I got this. What do you need? Like- oh, yeah. Yeah, no, me too. Definitely. And, and that's what d- I was saying about the kind of, you know that life can change. And yeah. So you're like, well, I, I have the backpack ready for that. Yeah, it's so- always ready. <laughs> It's completely cool. ready. Where are we going? <laughs> Where are we going? What's happening? Um, and I just wondered, we've been talking about this, obviously, how you felt with lockdown, because I found it quite triggering. Um, yes. And I, lots of grief, the grief club, we, we've been talking about it on Twitter, uh, found it sort of weirdly, oh, like this is like everybody's grieving, but like it's reminding me of my grief. And I wonder for you, because I spoke to someone else whose father died of um, influenza. Right, yes. Not that long ago. Mm. And she was saying, once this coronavirus, it, it really was a horrible fact. She was like, oh God, this right. But for you to be talking about viruses and unknown, was it really horrible um, time? It was really weird. So at the very start of it, I had, I'm pretty sure I had it. You know, mm. my husband had lost his sense of taste and smell and all the stuff happened. Um, and we're in London. Uh, and I remember when they were first talking about it, and I was quite, as we all were, quite laissez-faire at the very start. And then I read uh, a report in the New York Times <clears throat> about uh, people in hospital corridors in Italy unable to breathe and the doctors having to choose who they ventilated. And suddenly I felt like I couldn't breathe. And that reminded me of all the panic attacks that I used to have because both mm. my dad and my sister died of not being able to breathe. Mm. You know, they couldn't breathe. And so that I found very... It, like my, it, it had a physical impact on me and I didn't know whether it was a symptom or just my brain because it was the way I used to feel when I was 15 yeah. and I would make them take me to A&E. So, um, but actually I kind of realised that I had progressed in that because I wasn't scared. Like I used to be so scared all the time mm. of me dying, of my children dying. Like I was such a catastrophist. And I was like, I don't think, I think I'm going to be okay. I think this is all right. But then it was this sort of general air of 
everything has suddenly changed, mm. uh, which in some ways I'm quite good at dealing with because I'm quite good at putting one foot in front of the other yeah. and, not, and not thinking about the future. So I'm like, mm. well, who, you know, why bother thinking about the future? Who fucking knows? Okay, so for today, we yeah. have enough food. Yeah. We, we have half a bottle of wine. <laughs> uh, the heating's on. We can yeah. pay the mortgage this month. Yeah. You know, we're all, this is cool. This is fine. I have no idea what the world's going to look like in two years' time. Mm. But nobody does. Yeah. And the people who find it harder are the ones who think they do know what the world is going to look like in two years' time. So mm. I think in some ways what we have learned through kind of trauma and sudden change is quite helpful in this instance because it is just about like all we can do is survive today Mm. and if we wake up tomorrow and we're still feeling okay well that's that's a win um my husband finds it much harder than me it's funny isn't it yeah I could when you were writing I could really relate to that kind of (laughs) <laughs> it's like you've permanently been ready for the apocalypse oh, because yeah. of what happened to you. Yeah. So when something does happen, you're just like, yeah, like cool. you're like, all right, yeah, okay, cool. I knew I this thought, was coming. Yeah, I, I knew told, this was coming. I told you all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't listen. Nobody listened. <laughs> I found it hard. I think the longer it went on, that's for me. Yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, first few weeks, got this, no problem. I'm not yeah, scared. Exactly. We can do this. And then, okay, month two, okay, yeah. this is. I, my, yeah, my adrenaline kind of can't keep up at this, like, mm. let's get through today. But I did, I found it interesting that if you had lost someone, mm. I, I, a lot of people were saying um, to me on Twitter and on, like, on Instagram, of like, oh, this feels, this feels familiar, doesn't it? And it was, it was very strange to feel like everybody was grieving when you're yeah. so used to being the only one who's grieving and people not understanding and people, you know, like you said, that sort of isolated, not fitting in mm. feeling as a teenager who's... It's a very strange place to be a teenager who knows that... Um, knows that you die. Every, you're going to die. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's... Because most teenagers are so, like, caught up in the minutiae of, what's ha- of their life. Also, and that most teenagers feel immortal. I mean, that's the yeah, point of being yeah. a teenager. You're like, I am invincible, you yeah. know. You, you idiots don't know. Don't, why are you scared for me? Because yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this dive bomb off a cliff and I'm going to be absolutely fine. Um, but I think I did, I also found it very upsetting. I mean, my mum my had to shield because she's type 2 diabetic and old and, and stuff. And, you know, so I was scared for her. I didn't know anybody who died from COVID, but I felt so heartbroken for all the people who were unable to mm. have funerals, be with their loved ones when they died. I just thought that's yeah, that's horrible. That's so upsetting. That's a, that's a whole other trauma that mm. you know will be a very which will take a long time for people to work through. Um, I think yeah, definitely. If you've if you've been through something like that and you you know how hard a funeral is anyway, yes, yes. how hard it is to say to goodbye to a person, and yes. then knowing, that I think all these you could, people you have just didn't even get that. No, and you know those poor and those poor hospital staff who had to hold up the mobile phone. Oh, it was just I know. Too upsetting. Really, it's, really upsetting. Yeah, really, and mm. uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. it's it's interesting because I feel like the world sort of like (laughs) like you said if you live in this place every day of Mm. panic and catastrophizing and or you know you progress and it sounds like Mm. you're you're doing pretty well you're (laughs) learning to manage it Mm. and then when the world sort of like dips into your head for a bit that's Mm. what it felt like to me I was like I was like yeah it's not nice is it it's pretty intense it's pretty scary (laughs) everyone's like oh oh god it's just so stressful you're like yeah 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 I had this before the global pandemic (laughs) (laughs) and um the pandemic just seems sort of normal um Mm. I wanted to talk to you about 
there was a bit in the book which I, I there was two bits actually I want to talk about which like talking to your daughters yes. about candy which I thought was so wonderful and if you wouldn't mind just saying how, when you went to the supermarket and you made yes yeah because so, I just love that bit so much they they love it too <laughs> um I had never spoken to my children about candy and you know and my husband had always been a bit like you know Mike's a very uh intuitive sensitive person and every year he'd be like oh shall we celebrate candy you know should we go and visit there's a tree in the primary school should we go and visit the tree and I was like no a bit like quite aggressive like why do you want me to do something for candy you freak kind of thing because you know as we said if I start talking if I start Mm. thinking I'll just end up crying forever and you know we can't we haven't got time for that I've got to go to work tomorrow um but when I started thinking about her and engaging with her and I really realized that I wanted to talk to my daughters about her but and then I got very worried because how do you talk to little girls about a little girl who died suddenly in the night when she was nine years old without terrifying them. Mm. Uh, So I decided that what we would do is we would make a cake to celebrate Candy's birthday. And I decided, because Candy was really into pink and really into sweets, she had a massive sweet tooth and she was quite a maximalist, so she would really kind of go for it with the desserts. (laughs) So we, I decided we're going to make like the batshit craziest cake anyone's ever seen I made like three tier kind of cake and then we went to Sainsbury's and I said to the girls like literally any sweets you want just anything just go around like (laughs) supermarket sweets fill the basket so like oh my god they're kind of running around like bags of sherbet and strawberry strings and glitter and all kind of mad stuff and then I made the cake and I did like six times the amount of pink icing that you were meant to do and then I just got them to like chuck stuff at it for, <laughs> for about half an hour. And, uh, and it's mad. So it starts off looking sort of vaguely normal. Then it's just like sagging under the weight of kind of Smarties and stars and just random stuff and marshmallows. And then like, no, let's put on more and let's put on more until it just looks like, completely insane. And then we all had a slice and I was like, so this is what we're going to do every year. This is how we're going to remember candy. So now when they think of candy, that's what they think of, especially my younger daughter. She's like, I love candy day. I mean, she even, (laughs) but she even did say, I'm so glad candy died because now we can have candy day. And I was like, okay, (laughs) let's scroll back on that. um, That's not but, quite the lesson I wanted. No, exactly. But then, you know, but by the same token, I talked to my old daughter who did say that when she was nine, she did feel quite scared. Mm. She's like, that's, I thought girls died when they were nine. So, it, it, like, as, as, as much as you try and leaven that message, mm. and it's not possible to actually completely do that. It's but, so hard, isn't it? Because, mm. because it isn't possible. So, I, you no. know, my, my daughter's only three. Mm. And I'm, you know, I try and talk, mention my dad. And obviously it's a different situation because I'm not talking about a child that died mm. to a child. But... It's still grandpa. You, yeah, you, you, it's so weird because, like, you know, I'm very honest about death. I talk about it mm. very, very... That's my job, is talking yeah. about death. <laughs> and yet that when my daughter asks questions, I'm like, oh, he's just gone away. Because <laughs> you're like, yeah. oh, God, oh, God, I have to explain it. And then I... Because I think that's the harsh thing about talking to a child about death. Like you said, you're, you're, you're trying to leaven it soften it but you can't because the truth behind it is some people die and that's what you're sort of trying to broach with them like yeah people can die and that's 
you know there isn't a magic wand that brings people back and it's yeah but I think if you if we tell three-year-olds that if they mm. know that it means that when it does happen and it will happen and it will happen I know it's less so of a massive shock yeah <laughs> because they understand that this is there is life, there is death, and then there is the middle bit, you know. I know, and it's it's so because I, you know, we we talk about it, and I and my parent, my my husband has lost both his parents as well. Right. So she's only got one, one grandparent, one grandma. So I'm like very yeah. anxious. The load about is on. Her. Yeah. On that poor oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get up that ladder. What are you doing? Mm, no, yeah. don't don't do that. Why did you fall over? Yeah. Your trainers need to I be have more this, grippy. I have this padded box for you, mum. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just get in it. I've got the key. You'll be fine. Why, why yeah. are you moaning? <laughs> there are a few little ventilation holes. I'm looking after you. Yeah, and it's it's such an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you were that child that was so shocked. So you don't want them to be shocked, but equally you don't want... Yeah, it's. I think it's really hard. But I think what, the way you're... It's a balance. I, but I loved the description of the cake because obviously what was so nice about it, it's like children love sweets, they love cakes. And for you to give them permission... Mm. It felt like, obviously, it fe- I could feel candy in that supermarket. I could yeah. feel, like, her being like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, exactly, crazy. And finally, like, this boring yeah. woman who's always, like, stop eating sweets <laughs> finally lightened up, and it's because of candy. Yeah. So it's like yeah. you get to have, you know, the, the presence of my mad aunt is mm. suddenly there, kind of enabling this fun. And so when yeah. they think about her, they think about that. They don't mostly think about the other side even though yeah. I have been quite clear to them and told them what happened mm. and made you know and not pretended it didn't happen which I think is yeah is so important and a sign mm. of your progression obviously because that what they fill in the gaps so if you were still at the point where you couldn't talk about it it would just be yeah, like exactly. oh I see death is so painful you don't discuss it which is yeah. the lesson that you learn and I and I you know I've spoken to people who've said with their own parents in particular like, oh yeah um even actually my husband's um, parents have this a sister that died or a brother that died and it was never spoken of mm. and it's like the family secret mm. and it's like a person isn't a secret a death isn't a secret it's mad you know I can understand it I'm not judging yeah. them but I just think it's not it's not helpful it's not anyone. and that's, we've we've said on the show many times the trouble with secrets is as a, you think that that means that's wrong so then shame creeps in yeah because it's like exactly. oh okay that's bad it's something you're not meant to talk about mm. like it's it's inappropriate it's horrible yeah, it's, you yeah. know all of these things and, that, the, and these are the lessons we're teaching our children yeah that, you know this is something to be ashamed of and that's why i like the cake thing so much because i really like this idea like you know death and grief are so unique they're so wrapped up in the relationship you had with that person mm. And it seems so fitting that her big sister like bakes a disgustingly sweet cake with I mean, her with her nieces. I was like, oh, that's that is the way to celebrate that person. Like yeah. it really, and I think that's really nice when you can. Confi- it's like when you go to like a good funeral in virtual yeah. when you're like, and you're like, this, oh, this really is fitting. That it's was, for them. This, yeah, and uh, you know, my mum comes to have a cake. She has to take extra sort of insulin tablets <laughs> on those days. <laughs> To, just to make sure she doesn't, you know. She's, she's all right with candy. And then we, then we all kind of fall into this sort of sugar coat. We're like, oh, my God. And this year we did it. It wasn't, it was not that long ago. And I've now kind of worked out that what we do is we make it and then we arrange to see a few people and we bring oh, it with us. good work. So we good don't work. just have it in the house. Yeah, 
Because <laughs> you, 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 you might die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I shouldn't say that, but you know, it's, 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 really, it's a lot of sugar yes. to take on for a normal human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really, mm. sound, it really sounded. I could really envision that proper child when children mm. decorate things. It's like, mm. and it's funny, isn't it? Because your adult self is like, oh, God, no, please, not that much. And then there is yeah, a bit yeah. of you thinking, why? Why not yeah, that why much? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, like it's a it. cake. Let's and make um, it genuinely insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing that I found so interesting in your book, where you talked about going to see the ac- acupuncturist. Oh, yes, Laura. Everyone's into I, Laura. Oh, well, I just found that, because obviously some people really believe in ghosts mm. and some people really, really don't. And I think it's whatever works for you is fine. Yeah. But I really thought it was so interesting that you said, you know, you, you were seeing these two acupuncturists, one of them very, you'd explain the grief and it was all about this. The other one just thinks you're dealing with stressed London lines. Mm. <laughs> And then, yeah, would you mind just saying, so I sure. just want to ruin the book, but. Um, so I, I love acupuncture. I think it's amazing. And I was seeing two acupuncturists and one I was actually specifically seeing for grief and he's called Ross Bar, and he's amazing. And he started doing acupuncture to deal with his own grief for his father dying. And he, he's excellent. And he treated me for like, the first points he treated were for kind of, I think PTSD, because mm. he was like, you know, you, for my sister even, and this was many, many years later. And then the other, um, acupuncturist I was seeing is called Laura Jones and she's a bit she's amazing too and in different ways she's a bit woo woo and I went to see her for facial acupuncture which is really good it's kind of like botox but without you know all the injections they, they just put loads of needles in your face and it makes you look younger which is important when you're kind of like me in your mid 40s <laughs> uh, so so I go and see her and so Ross knew all about candy Laura knew nothing about candy all she knew was that I worked at a fancy magazine and I was a bit vain and you know a bit stressed and uh, I was went to see her and she was sort of being a bit weird sort of hovering around me sort of starting to put the needles in and then she was like um I'm really sorry I'm finding this really hard and I was like what she's like there's someone here and I was like is there because I you know you, you go for treatments you're like in these darkened rooms yeah, with these yeah. like things, and your eyes are shut and you're like <laughs> I mean anyone could walk in uh I open my eyes they're like she's like do you okay does this sound familiar at all there's um very annoying young person here <laughs> who really smells sweet she smells really sugary um could this be anyone and I was like what do you mean she's like there's a presence in the room uh I was like oh she's like she is re- I, I, I'm finding it really hard I'm finding her energy really hard she doesn't know what happened to her she's really impatient she's really frustrated and I was like oh so I was like, okay, well, this is quite mad. I don't really know how I feel about this. Um, so I explained to Laura about Candy, that my little sister had died in the night very suddenly. Uh, and she's like, well, she's here. She doesn't know what happened to her. You have to tell her what happened to her. Um, and I'm really sorry, but I can't stay in this room because it's too much. Um, I have to go. So I was like, I was like, do I have to say it aloud? Because I'm a bit self-conscious. She's like, no, you can just do it in your head. It's absolutely fine. Just, you just need to talk to her. So Laura leaves, and I'm like in this little basement room in Marylebone or whatever, lying there in my bra and pants with a sort of furry stole over me. And, uh, but I think, okay, fuck it. This, this isn't going to hurt anyone. I don't know what's happening. But so I just, in my head, I sort of imagined talking to Candy and saying, come over here, it's okay, calm down, I know you're here. Um, and I explained to her exactly what happened to her. 
and I explained to her what happened to us after she'd gone uh, and how her leaving us and her death had sort of broken us all in different ways and how much we'd all loved her and how sorry I was that I'd not thought about her for so long and not talked about her for so long and and it felt really kind of amazing and positive and transformative almost it felt like I became calmer um, and perhaps this little spirit became calmer too and then Laura came back in she's like oh yeah that's much better and she sort of put in some more needles and stuff. And um, and then, so sometimes, and I really felt like, and I don't know what it is. And I spoke to my therapist about it afterwards. And I was like, I don't know how the universe works. Mm. But I'm not going to discount this as a thing. I'm just going to see how it makes me feel. And that's what I'm going to respond to is how it makes me feel. She's like, yeah, I think that sounds about right. My husband was a bit more like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just found it, extra- I found it yeah. extraordinary because... Yeah, I, I'm like again. I'm, you know, I'm. I'm really not. So I'm not. I'm not a skeptic at all. Mm. But equal, I haven't. I haven't had like magical experiences mm. with my dad. And so when some people, you know, someone just the other day was like, "He's here," and I was like, "Is he? Where?" Because yeah. <laughs> he could yeah. do with telling me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh mm. right, great. He's talking to mm. you, but not me. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? Thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I found reading that just so moving, and even you talking about it now, I was just like, because just. Yeah, it's just the fact that she didn't know, obviously, and mm. the, the smell of sweets. There was something about that just was, like, so... And you can imagine that. You can imagine. So innocent, little, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you're frustrated. Like, what the hell happened to mm. me? And why is no one talking about me? And, you know, why has everyone forgotten about me? Which is why I was so glad that you'd included that bit, in a way, because I mm. thought it'd be so easy to sort of be like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone this weird thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was a crazy like, Yeah, but actually it just felt... There's such a truth to it and such mm. a truth, you know, in the, the sort of purest sense of the word and such mm. a truth to your relationship with her. Like reading it, I really got a sense of you and her as sisters. And yeah. it was so nice, like you said, to imagine this, you know, this person who hadn't been forgotten about. It had been mm. too painful to sure. speak about it but was so but her silence was so loud you know? yeah she you know, like a child like why is everyone ignoring me yeah and uh, and that's exactly how it felt to me it's it's sort of when she suddenly came back into my life in a way it was almost in that room I think that mm. felt like the sort of the the physical kind of moment when that happened was when I really kind of re-engaged with who she was, mm. was kind of there in that place, in that moment. And it might have just been that it was a really quiet, meditative, still place, and mm. we need to find those spaces in our crazy, busy, intense lives as parents and employees and all the things, the many myriad things that we do. Um, it's really, you need kind of grief requires space. You can't just do it kind mm. of you know on the tube kind of thing you need yeah, to be yeah, so... yeah. You, you... <laughs> you know, I know like... just fit it in you know I... oh I've got five minute gap maybe yeah, I'll do the, my grieving like, there <laughs> yeah grief app you can just be yeah, like yeah, exactly. I've got five minutes great I'll do it now and yeah, then exactly. I'll, I'll tick it off on my list I, d- yeah, I did some like, grieving yeah it's not like oh I can fit in a bit of a high intensity workout kind of thing it's just yeah, yeah. it requires a different sort of engagement that we don't often allow ourselves I think yeah because it's frightening because to be that vulnerable and to be that connected physically to people you've loved who are not here it's right it's frightening I think Mm. and you know is and and difficult and not like you said not easy not easy to grieve it isn't it isn't easy even though 
like you said that like the option your mum took was it was really hard <laughs> really painful really slow yeah. really difficult but yeah it, it sort of honors who they are mm. when you do allow it to to happen but like you said yeah. you, you just have to do it however you can whenever you can yeah. it's such a brilliant book and yeah I, I really I really really loved it and well, thank you so much I thought that you know yeah obviously as I said it's, it's an extraordinary story but it's a very very relatable one for how you transverse that that process so yeah I just want to say thank you so much for talking to me and for remembering for having me. Candy and your dad as well oh thank you You can follow Gavandra on Twitter at Gavandra, that's G-A-V-A-N-N-D-R-A. And her book, The Consequences of Love, is available to buy now. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland. It was recorded in my living room and Gavandra's kitchen. The music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and artwork is by Jade Perkin. And remember, you are not alone. <laughs>